But Advent is a time of waiting, but it's also a time of looking forward. And we are such a people, and I know waiting is not our favorite thing to do. Most of us, at least I would say that, we don't like waiting at traffic lights. You feel like you've hit the lottery if you hit all the lights green. This morning I was coming to church. Every light that I came to was green. You feel like you hit the lottery, right? But who knows? Uh, if, you, if you had a red light, it gives you a little time to settle and stop and maybe pray or whatever that might be. But we, I don't know if you remember. I mean, for me, I hated it when... Because I didn't use the Internet as much as some people did at the time, way back 15, 20 years ago. But anybody remember when you had to load up and you had to wait for that grinding? Some of you in here under the age of probably 25 don't remember that as much. But it was just frustrating. We didn't like waiting. We don't like waiting. But there's something about waiting and an expectation of that. I mean, those who right now, we've got a lot of folks in our congregation, if you will, or in a, you know, some are here, some are not yet, uh, some are still at home, but especially those, some of you are here, they're expecting a baby in the next few months. And one of the things you do with that is not only does the expectation get ex- more exciting as you go along, I hope, but you also prepare for the day when it'll happen. You don't just get there one day and go, hey, we got to put a nursery together. We just had a baby. Most people don't. So there's this expectation. You begin to prepare for that. Whether you're getting married, you begin to prepare for that. And you begin to live as if for sure it was going to happen. The story that we have today or the scripture verse today, as I read it this week as in preparation for today, if you're doing the Advent book, this week is peace. And the, the scripture reading for today is 2 Peter 3, 18 through 15. And as I read it, I just thought, man, this, you, you can take this passage of scripture, especially if you read all of it, which I'm going to do here in just a minute, and walk away from it going, whew, okay, that sounds a little dire. Hang in there. This passage of scripture is about hope. It's about preparation. It's about looking forward. And I hope today as I read it, it will make sense to you. But 2 Peter 3, 18 through 15. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. <clears throat> With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you. Not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. As you look forward to the day of God and speed it's, and speed it's coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, after I've just told you all this great enlightening, I mean, uplifting news, Since you are looking forward to this, here's the problem. If you're not looking forward to that, then this is pretty dire, right? But since you are looking forward to this, 
Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote, you with the wisdom that God gave him. The life we are to live right now is to be lived in the light of the future that we're going to have. What we're doing right now is preparing us for that place. And as you read this, like I said, when you start talking about fire falling and you begin to, as Peter describes it, and, and you begin to go, wow, this is, you feel this, uh, uh, this tension if you're not careful going, man, someday this thing's going to just get torched. But as Josiah brought up earlier and as Paul would write in different places, I am torn. I'm in a straight betwixt two, I think is the King James Version and some of Paul's writing. I'm in a straight betwixt two where now my heart longs to be there, but I am here. Paul's real clear. That there is a direct connection between the expectation of the advent of Christ and the purity of life. I know at Christmas, as many times we want to hear more about the warm, fuzzy, if you will, and there are, there are those, this unbelievable story of Jesus being born in a manger that we can't miss and we never want to miss. But we also don't, don't want to miss the fact that he's coming again. And the next time he comes again, he will not be born in a manger. He'll be coming to set things right. And I know as we read this, and I I was reading some of the commentary, and and, and it's kind of funny because you read this and go, well, if God is so bothered by all the evil that's in the world, why doesn't he just deal with it? Why does he wait? And why does he wait? And why does he wait? And I guess all of us would say, probably today, I'm just glad he waited long enough for me to get in. Aren't you glad he waited? But the scripture today, you know, the scripture we read here says, with the Lord a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. I love that passage of Scripture because we begin, it gives us a little bit of what we will understand someday the best our human minds can right now, what eternity is. Is it a thousand years or like a day? And a day is like a thousand years to God. God sees the beginning from the end just like he sees the present. So for him, a thousand years or a day are the same in that sense. What he needs to get accomplished, he can get, either get accomplished in a day or a thousand years because they're the same. But what I love about this is, is that God could do whatever he wants. But he is patient. He is not slow or slack, I think some translations. He is not slack. As some of you understand slack. If somebody tells you they're going to do something, and they're not showing up, 
you begin to question them, right? They gave me their word. They said they would be here. The way we understand slack is either that person is not a person of integrity or that person is not very organized. They may be a good person. They want to try to do right things, but they're just, or they just have the great thing that we all like to say, I'm just a person who shows up late as some kind of badge of honor. But Peter's saying, don't understand what you think of slack is the way God thinks of slack. Because if he wants it to become true, it comes true right now. But the reason he has not ended this whole thing is because of his long-suffering for you that no one shall perish. Why is this good news? Because it tells us of the character of God. The character of God is holiness. And we'll talk more about it over the next few weeks, but one of them is love. God is love. So when we begin to see his prophets or Peter or apostles writing this dire-looking scene from someday, whenever that someday will be, we shouldn't be looking at it as going, oh, no, man, hunker down, build a bunker. It should be looking forward and beginning to live out right now what we know someday we will be. That's it. But Paul, I mean, excuse me, Peter says, and as we start this week, second week of Advent, is peace. So then, dear friends, and again, here's the qualifier. Maybe there's more qualifiers, but it's one of the qualifiers. Since you are looking forward to this, then the question I think we all have to come ringing back to ourselves is, am I looking forward to this? But since we are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with God, with Him. Obviously, if you watch the news, you maybe may be in your home or around the nation and peace is hard to find, isn't it? It's hard to find a a place, even when they're signed peace treaties, is there really peace? Or is just there a lack of conflict? Because those are different things, right? You've seen it in your home somewhere probably. You've seen it with your parents. Maybe, I hope not, but maybe or in your home where the definition of peace is just lack of conflict, but we all know that's not real peace. So we see that in our world and we see it on the news and we see it all over, but, but I want to just, if I can this morning, I hope briefly, and I'm not going to go back and read the passage of scriptures, I'm just going to encourage you to go do this. Where was this peace disrupted? This peace that we believed that we were to have When was it disrupted? And I know when we start talking about the Advent story, it's real easy to start at the manger. 
But I'm going to start at the garden. Genesis 1 through 3, you can go read those. I'm not going to read them for you today. Most of you probably already know the story, even if you're not in church a lot, about Adam and Eve and Eve uh, uh, and, and, the, and the snake and the, and the devil and the, and the apple and all those things that go with that and, and, and Adam not stopping her and Adam hiding from God. And then go read all that. It's a powerful image. The reason I start there today is because I think if we don't start there, if we don't at least address that, then it's hard for us to understand what Paul, uh, Peter is, I keep saying Paul, but Peter is talking about here and being spotless and blameless and righteous, that God is a God of righteousness. Evil has a short shelf life. Because when we get to heaven, whenever that day comes, whatever that looks like, there will be no evil and righteousness will reign. So if we don't at least step back to the garden and understand what was broken, just briefly, it's hard to understand what we're trying to bring back and what someday will look like. I don't know what it'll look like, the garden and how it's described. I don't know all that, but one thing I do am convinced of, the presence of God will be there. And if the presence of God there, there is peace. And there will be no evil. There will be no death. There will be no crying. There will be, and we can just go down the list. But one thing for sure is righteousness will reign. God created this perfect world where man and woman could walk with God. Where they could know God. And God knew them. Can you imagine? I mean, just, really, I, I, and I can't because our minds are too feeble. Can you imagine being in a place, probably, I'm guessing, around 78 to 80 degrees, midday, 55 at night. That's because that's my perfect temperatures. That's a, I'm just trying to think of my place, a perfect place of heaven or the garden. But there's no fear, there's no mask, <laughs> there's no social distancing. But just the presence of God, and you just walk, and you do whatever you do in places like that. When I see heaven, eating is a part of that. So I've got my temperatures down, I've already got my menu kind of built in. But can you imagine? I just really can't. I can't. My mind won't. I have moments. Do you ever have glimpses? I know I got to get going. Do you ever have glimpses of almost this perfect, perfect peace moment? With, and for me, it's in nature most of the time where you just almost like you want to absorb it. You want to just go, wow. Well, you're just all struck. Not A-O-L-L because I know I got a southern accent, but A-W-E, struck. In that moment, that is so real and so almost feel like you could touch it. It fleets. It's gone. But what if you lived that way all the time? Just recognizing the awesomeness of God. 
But what happened in the garden that peace was disrupted. The moment they took the fruit, the human heart was introduced to shame, fear, self centeredness. And I don't know this is the worst, but one of the, one, of the, one of the worst parts of it to me is that we would be in conflict from that moment on. Because of the separation, the opposite of peace, we would be in conflict with God, conflict with others, conflict with ourselves. The great news is God did not leave his people without hope. In the midst of this, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of, of, of the messed upness they were and all the things that they had done to break this trust with God, he gave them a promise that one day a deliverer would come. Isaiah 9, 6, I know it's not right necessarily with Adam and Eve, but, he's, but he says, for us to a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. As I was doing my research this week, I saw this, and I thought this is just, I love the way this is written. It's from the, the Jesus Storybook Bible called Every Story Whispers His Name. Sally Lloyd-James, it says, at the end of the Adam and Eve story, it's a kid's book, uh, this is how the book reads, from now on, everything would die. Even though it was supposed to last forever, their hearts would break now and never work properly again. Before they left the garden, God whispered a promise to Adam and Eve, it will not always be so. I will come to rescue you. And when I do, I'm going to do battle against the snake. I'll get rid of the sin and the dark and sadness you let in here. I'm coming back for you. And he would. One day, God himself did come. So why are we not at peace? A couple of thoughts I have this morning that may be helpful to you. I don't know. We'll see. First is that peace does not depend on our circumstances. Whatever's going on in your life, and I've had to learn this the hard way in my own life because I've had, I've had times of turmoil, no question, even though whether it's brought on by something else or in my own life. But what I've had, and thank goodness I come to the conclusion that the peace with God and peace, in, internal peace, does not have anything to do with the actual circumstance at this moment. And matter of fact, the, the, the actual circumstance may even get more difficult. I love what Oswald Sanders says, peace is not the absence of trouble, 
but the presence of God. If we look at the Christmas story, we know Mary knows this. When we read the account, and you can go back and we'll probably do that, but she was pregnant and unmarried, which in her, I think Dr. Dan may have said last week, but in, in, in her society, in her culture, probably had a great chance of getting her killed. She's going to have to tell her fiance. Even if she did live, it's great shame. But she says yes to God. Because Mary knows that God will be with her. Let me ask you this. Are you waiting for something to change in your life before you experience peace? There's a reason why we are so bad at our outer peace. It's because we aren't very good at our inner peace. Our unrest is a symptom of a deeper problem. I love what Thomas Merton says. The monk Thomas Merton says, we are not at peace with others because we are not at peace with ourselves. And we are not at peace with ourselves because we are not at peace with God. And you cannot be at peace with God until you deal with that which is keeping you from being at peace with God. You can try to ignore it. You can try to cover it up. You can try to overcompensate for it. You wonder why sometimes you're not at peace with others. And we see in our world today, well, my first and inkling is that you're not at peace with God, meaning you're not at peace with yourself. Back in the garden, when it was broken, one thing we know for sure, the greatest need for everybody today is to be reconciled. To God, we've talked about that over and over here. If sin had a job, its job is what? Separation from God, separation from others, separation from our purpose. That would be its job description. It's very simple. Separation, separation, separation. Christ came for reconciliation, 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 then transformation, then righteousness, and then all, we got all that, okay? But the thing is, the separation, we all need reconciliation to God. Isaiah thirty-two seventeen says, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of righteousness will be peace. The effect of righteousness will be quietness and confidence forever. And there's a reason why uh, I believe that when people are at peace, and we'll talk about it in just a minute, when people are at peace, they can bring peace. But peace without righteousness is not peace. 
That's the reason why Peter, when, he's, when we're reading this this morning, the reason why we sometimes don't look forward because we're not at peace here. We're not at peace with God. We're not at peace with ourselves. We're not at peace with others. So it's really hard for us to look forward. If we hear that, we hear that reading that you read today, Pastor Kurt, that gives me fear. Not peace. It should give us all peace. It should give us all hope. But I love the song we sang this morning, As It Is in Heaven, because what it says, what I understand from that is, let's begin to live now what we know is coming. I mean, you think about this, how serious God is about this. It took the blood of Christ to make peace between sinners and God. That's pretty serious. You know, when I see people on TV and I see this venting or it's on Twitter or wherever it may be, sometimes I even hear it in conversations of people that I'm not having to watch on TV. When I hear this and hear this venting going on and this I look at it and go, what is happening on the inside that's spilling out on the outside? What really is going on on the inside of that individual? I'm not trying to judge them. I don't know. But to have that come out on the outside, something is going on on the inside. It doesn't matter if you're leaders of countries, to media, to a parent. When you begin to look right now, are you venting? Do you see others? Because really, the whole idea behind this, not the whole idea, but one of the ideas is not being peace with God is so we can bring peace. And when we're not bringing peace, and that's not our bent, I think we have to step back a little bit and go, okay, where am I with God on this? Where am I with myself? One of the things that I think when you talk about peace and you talk about it from different settings, from different religions, even Eastern religions, so many times their quest for peace is to, get, is to basically block out or get rid of every want, every desire, every passion, to rid yourself of all that. What I love about Christianity, and you may think I'm wrong in this, but I I do believe this, Christianity teaches the opposite of that. Because the peace of God is about finding your fulfillment in life. The peace of God is finding that exhilarating, meaningful thing that you get up every day that propels you. When you find the peace with God, you now begin to live into this abundant life. Not getting rid of all these things, but God transforming all those things that they look like his righteousness. That the love you have and all those things that you want to do in life, they come with a different set of reasons and purposes. It's not to get rid of all of it. It's to transform it. 
And when you begin to realize that your big role in this world is to bring the kingdom of God because God's peace, when you reconcile with him and you begin to reconcile with who you are as a person, the security of who you are, that you can step into almost any place, you can love people who are unlovable because of what security you have in him because you're at peace with God. And you get this unbelievable opportunity. We've been given one ministry, the ministry of reconciliation. And the ministry of reconciliation is peace. With God, peace with others. Do we have the basically the keys to the kingdom? I love what it's in Matthew and in Mark. When we realize that, that we're really in this thing with Jesus, both of them say the secret of the kingdom has been given to you. See, the kingdom is about things that matter. I was telling Jan this morning, we were watching the sun come up about outside and just watch it. It was outside 39 degrees this morning. Uh, Sitting out there, I said, you know, I just, I'm really working through in my own life, what if I just did things that matter? What would happen if while in this waiting we're doing it, we got rid of the things that don't matter? Instead of our waiting, we fill our minds up with gadgets. We fill our minds up with more, another TV show. We fill our minds up with, a, what if we just spent our time on things that matter? Because things that matter is what the kingdom is about. And to be in a community of people who want to do things that matter. I think it was Erwin McManus I heard years ago say, I've made a decision. I'm going to quit talking about things that don't matter. I thought, man, that's like 75% of my time. Talk about the Razorbacks. Talk about politics. About things I can't do anything about except pray. Maybe join something, maybe make a difference somewhere, and we're trying to do that, and we're thinking and praying about those things. Because I think this. When you spend your life about things that matter, you get up every morning, and that thing pulls you forward. Does that make sense? Yeah, how many of you are, I had to drag myself out of bed. I really want to do what I, what I got to do today. But what if everything you did today mattered? You might get out of bed differently. And you spend your day announcing that the kingdom of God is at hand. I don't mean you go out on the Get a megaphone. I was talking to some of the teens last week about megaphone. They had these little tiny ones last week. I don't mean go out on the street corner and start screaming, the kingdom of God is at hand. You start living that the kingdom of God is at hand. That every beautiful person, I, I, one of my favorite shows to watch, and I missed it, I didn't realize there's 32 seasons of it, so that's, I could binge watch, I guess, but I don't think I need to do that. 
But I like watching Amazing Race. How many of you here ever watch it or maybe? I, I like watching Amazing Race. And one of the reasons I like watching Amazing Race is not even just the fact of the strategery that goes on um, or even just, you know, the, the excitement of the race because I think there's probably some things behind the scene that they kind of prop up and you, it's not near as exciting as you would think behind the scenes. But what I do love is seeing people from around the world because I think we forget it sometimes. I think we forget of how many different people are in this world. Because we get so head down, here I am. I mean, how many of you know what the numbers are around the world as far as COVID? I'd say for the most part, you probably don't. You don't really know. And I'm not, that's not a slight, I don't either. Because we in the U.S. and we in our area, we're just so, what I love about the kingdom is the kingdom's available wherever they are. I don't, we in the U.S. don't have to take it to them. We in the U.S. don't have to say, hey, hey, we've got it, we've got it, we've come up with something. As soon as we can get enough finances, we'll get it to you. No, the kingdom of God is available. Every beautiful color of skin, even every, every lifestyle, everything, the kingdom of God is available now right there where they are. And we are the purveyors in many ways, not the purveyors, the Holy Spirit is, but he uses us to be reconcilers or ministries, ambassadors for him. To bring peace. Why would we not, the crazy thing, why would we not want to be people of peace? We know what it feels like to be in conflict internally. We know what it feels like to be conflict with other people. Who likes that? I mean, I'm sure you can probably name somebody. I think, you did, I think they actually do like that because they do it all the time. However, who really wants to live that way? So then the question becomes, if God is really looking for a people, well, let's back up. If the world is looking for a group of people, I, you would think, and maybe you've even said it, as you've seen the turmoil from this summer and the turmoil around the world, th there may be times it crosses your mind going, can't somebody do something? I love this statement from the Hopi Nation. I, I, elders in the Hopi Nation says, are we, the, we are the ones we've been looking for. We are the ones we've been waiting for. And I don't mean that in, in our own self. But we keep asking questions, and I have a feeling there's times God going, yeah, I put you right there for that. You just get yourself at peace with me, begin to make peace with others, live as I if, as if you are ready, because it shall be someday, blameless, and at peace with me, and let's just see what I do with you. God's church is called. To be the people of peace. I would say I'd challenge you today. Any area right now. And I know I've got to be careful here. Because I, I realize there's disagreements. And there's things got to be straightened out. And truth has to be spoken. So don't hear what I'm not saying. But I'm talking about your heart and your attitude. Because one of the things I talk about in confrontation. When I teach them confrontation or controversial talk. The number one thing is, is my heart right? 
Doesn't mean don't deal with it. it. The question is, is my heart right? Am I full of grace? And if you look at the situations in your life or even things that you see on TV and you just got, the, where's your heart? In the, if you had an opportunity, would you be a person who would want to bring peace? Or are you a person who likes to throw fuel? As I said it was again, I don't want to spend my next however many years God has for me looking in the rearview mirror regretting. But one of the things I do love is looking in the rearview mirror and remembering and celebrating of what God has done. I'm going to ask the band to come up. We're going to move into time of communion. If you're at home, you go ahead and prepare and you're here. I'm going to pray for us before we do that this morning. Because I think coming into a time of the Lord's table is a time to ask ourselves, am I at peace? Lord, we just come before you today thanking you right now in the name of Jesus that we have something to celebrate today. And Lord, I can't across this room or around this town or around this country, wherever folks may be. You've promised you would send a Prince of Peace and you did. Jesus, we thank you for coming and walking as we walk and tempted as we were tempted. Most of all, Lord, we thank you for going to the cross that now breaks that barrier, allows us to now be reconciled. The only way But Lord, I know this. We can't have peace with you unless we're willing to deal with the things that keep us from being at peace with you. Lord, you want to give us peace in the middle of the circumstances. Because Lord, I know right now, whether it's from here to Las Vegas, Lord, we know our arm, your arm is not short, so we pray across these miles for Melissa and Javier. But I pray for peace over Melissa right now and her kids. Lord, Hob needs a miracle. But I pray for peace. And Lord, that is multiplied so many times in all kinds of circumstances. In this room and around the world. Lord, sometimes we get so focused we forget. there's this unbelievable world going on around us. Lord, don't let us be so narcissistic or arrogant that we forget that you have come that we would be instruments for your peace, for your reconciliation back to you and to others. Lord, I pray right now as we We'll take of the elements. We we'll just take just a moment and reflect and remember what you have done for us.
shepherds were reminded on the night that you were betrayed. You took the bread. You encouraged your disciples to eat it. Lord, we take now. at the same time as we've already reflected today of what it took for us to be back at peace with you was you going to that cross and shedding your blood for the redemption of mankind for the, for the way back for the rescuer, for the deliverer Lord we praise you today and we drink today in remembrance It's easy to just walk out of this room again as we do week after week and not be any different. And I understand that, Lord. We're not trying to manipulate anybody. But, Lord, I pray that this week, if you haven't already, this day, Look and see what those things are that keep us from being at peace with you. And Lord, that may mean for some here to accept you as their Savior. There's nothing they can do to earn what you did on the cross. But Lord, they can come and just offer themselves back to you and believe that you are who you say you are did die on that cross and you were resurrected and this day Lord that peace is settled or there may be other internal things that they have to deal with things that's happened in their life but you will come into those vacuums you'll come into those moments and begin to heal Lord you are the God when we say shalom Lord it's more than just lack of conflict it is wholeness it is reconciliation it is all that back to healing Lord I pray healing not only physical healing, but I pray that mental, emotional healing now in the name of Jesus. Shalom. Complete. But Lord, then as we walk out this week, that we will understand that we have been given the secret of the kingdom of God. And it is to share that anywhere, any place, anytime, you can use us to help people be aware of the God that's always been after them, that has known them from day one, and loves them right where they are. Help us be that people. And we'll give you praise for what you're doing in our midst. We thank you, Lord, for this time pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're going to close, and Josiah will close us here in a little bit. We're going to close singing. Won't you stand with us? And this song again reminds us, I think, of what Peter's saying to some degree. Let's live now for what we know will be in his name.